Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sunday School at Modern Mystic Shop. I am your coast and shop owner, Kelly Knight. You are listening in to another one of our Sunday School classes. Again, we've decided to take these classes virtual. So we're hosting them on Zoom. So that means that every Sunday now at 11 a.m., if you want to join our live podcast recording, you can head over to sundayschoolpod.com and you can click and hit our link and join us live. Otherwise, you can do what you're doing right now and listen back the following week to whatever episode we just recorded. But I really encourage you guys to join us at least once. It's so nice to connect with everyone face-to-face, and then you have the opportunity to have your questions answered in real time, on the spot, by our experts. So this week is my favorite person in the whole wide world, my husband, Brandon Knight. As we all know, we are in the midst of a pandemic, and there are aspects of this pandemic that actually are spiritual. And Brandon has this really interesting perspective on all the things that are happening right now that I really haven't heard out there in the mainstream. These are the spiritual aspects of this pandemic that not everyone's talking about. So in this episode, Brandon really goes into the fact that there are two pandemics going on right now. There is the coronavirus that we're all aware of, but there's also the pandemic of fear. And that is just as real and just as widespread as the illness itself, if not more. He talks about how we have to protect ourselves spiritually because diseases hit us energetically before they hit us physically. He talks about how disease actually originates in the astral and how that resonates with our spiritual body before our physical body. He talks about how it's important to remain focused on two things, the connection to self and being really resolute in ourselves during this time, and our ability to use our focus towards creativity and using that as a way to move through this isolation period where there is a lot of fear going on around us. It is important during this time, he would say, to have a media detox, to stay safe and evolve by trusting yourself and really getting to know your inner guidance system during this time because only you know the truth for you. So without any further ado, I give you Brandon Knight, and the spiritual aspects of a pandemic. This is a culmination of, of um, information that I've been collecting over time and these things have been coming to me through the practices that I have and also the teachers that I have contact with. Um, there is a lot going on that is distracting us, that is taking away from the real focus of what's happening in, uh, in this time. And so I kind of wanted to gear or um, put some information out there that was a little bit more toward where I believe, I mean, what my experience is what's actually happening and the opportunity we have as human beings during this time. And so um, let's get started because we got a little bit of time and I got some some information to cover that's very interesting, but also can take up some time if, if we're not careful. So the first thing I wanted to cover was the, um, the state of the collective. Um, right now, there's essentially two pandemics going on. There's one of fear and one of the virus. Um, 
the um, the reason why I want to cover cover the state of the collective is because it is uh, the collective. Uh, what I mean by that is the um, the overall energy that we create as a group of human beings on the planet. And once we all start to feel something similarly, and we all start to experience something similarly, it creates a force. It creates a um, a guide rod for reality. And so reality starts to fall in step with everyone's perspective and everyone's perception of, of what's happening. And what is being injected very heavily into the environment right now is fear. Uh, the media reports the absolute worst parts of what's going on in the pandemic versus, you know, um, some of the, uh, some of the more like middle ground or uh, middle ground understanding of what's happening. Um, and so they're, they're feeding us a, a lot of stories um, and we are, uh, we're locked down. And so we can't help but listen to those stories if that, if we want to stay informed. And so it's a very interesting thing. The virus is a very real thing. It does come from, you know, um, a spiritual place into the physical realm and, and I'll cover all of that and what, and what the components of that are and what that means soon. But, um, but it is a very real thing. I'm not saying the virus is fake or that you won't hear any of those messages today or anything like that. What I am saying is though, that there is a very real um, aspect of control going on for all of us. And so that, that issue of control and that issue of authority is going to continue to come up during this conversation. And so we're going to cover that some. Um, and emo I want everyone to understand is an emotional state is the very first thing that spreads among people. It, it isn't uh, something biological. The first thing, in order for you to get sick, the very first thing that has to happen is, um, in order for us to be open to a sickness, we have to open that up in our emotional state first. Um, and if it, essentially what that does is, to break it down a little bit more, I don't wanna go too far into this because we can go off the rails, but essentially what it does is it creates a tear or an opening in the, in the etheric bodies, um, in the, the, the things that actually surround us that we interact with, um, that protect us, but that also um, give us the, the container to hold energy in our being. Um, like the auric field, for instance, if you all have ever heard of auras or the auric field, that's one of the things that starts to get torn a little bit so that we can be susceptible to getting sick. If that's really strong and your emotional state is very, very grounded and strong and open, um, but at the same time protected, then it's hard for people to get sick in that state. That's the reason why things like this can come through and you see people that meditate on mountains like yogis in India and whatnot, they don't even get touched by this stuff, um, is because they have their emotional state intact, they have their auric field intact, and their body never even gets touched because it never reaches that deep or that far. Um, so right now, um, an emotional state of fear is what's really being spread throughout the collective and it's what's making us vulnerable. Um, Fear is the greatest uh, manipulator of humanity, putting us into a state of survival. And that, that's where um, the focus is right now. It's all on survival. It's all on um, what's happening. Where's my next paycheck going to come? Are we going to go into a depression? Are we, uh, you know, not even just the virus, but we're, we're looking at um, what's going on beyond it. And so that, that's going to be a humongous thing that's going to be the back of everybody's mind and everything like that and it's going to keep us distracted from actual the actual path of what is opening through this pandemic so the fear is so prevalent that it creates itself as a collective thought form at this point so right now it's almost like something that you can feel it's almost like um the the collective has has injected a personality into this thing and it's um group think is starting to take over and you can even see it in the media like the media almost operates in this way the media operates as this kind of group think tank and they all um, 
focus on the same aspects of stories and the same ways that the stories run and how they how they deliver to all of us. Um, this creates collective paralysis and shuts down our connection to our intuition. Now, this is really important to understand. A lot of us are in uh, a paralysis, and it's understandable. I mean, I'm not saying that that any of our reactions to this are invalid. Everybody has their own um, process around facing the fears around this. But the problem is that we stay there. We've got to have enough gumption and enough tools available to us and enough of a practice where we move through the paralysis of what the fear creates so that we can get back to a connection to ourselves and our intuition, which is our seats of power. The intuition is the absolute most important component of being human. If you have something that shuts down your connection to your intuition, you have something that shuts down your entire life, really because you don't have a compass at that point. Um, the connection to self has to be the most important engagement that you can have. And I'll get into why that's so important here in just a little bit. But um, we've got to have a practice or have an understanding of what it is to move through the paralysis of, of this pandemic and to um, uh, waver through that and in, back into a connection to self, back into a connection into the intuition that creates joy, that creates the create that engages the creative force of who we are. Um, when lack of connection is present, there is no discussion of evolution or how to reach subjective truth. Um, or I meant objective truth there, but the, it, it's either, or it's a flip coin or the other subjective and objective truth. But when, when a lack of connection is present, there is no more magic. When you can't connect to your environment, um, the way, uh, that you can after states of deep meditation or after states of, um, of, of having like a good spiritual practice um, where, you, where you engage that. When that happens, then the magic of our lives kind of fades um, when you aren't focused on connection. And so it's really important to keep that up. Um, and we'll go into to why all this is important here in just a moment. You got to look at who is telling the stories. Um, what are they trying, trying to convey and see the agenda? I'm not going to go too deep on conspiracy theories today. But I'm going to touch on it a little bit because it's at the forefront of everybody's mind. This is the collective. This is the collective thought. Um, the collective thought is, you know, what is the agenda of all this? Is this a sham? Is it, is it, um, is it real? Is, you know, are people really dying in Italy? You know, is it really that bad in New York? You know, I hear, I hear these questions all the time from people. And usually, the, of course, the truth always lies somewhere in the middle, right? From where the media is trying to pull things in this this, um, this extreme direction. And then experts are trying to say, no, it's in the middle and um, everybody's kind of overlooking things. You've got to understand the story of what's being told to you. Um, you've got to pay attention to that because you don't want to adopt it as your story um, because you want to create your own agenda. You don't want to be fed an agenda. You don't want to be programmed. In other words, it's very easy during this time of fear, during this time of paralysis to be programmed. And that's the thing that you want to avoid. You want to maintain the connection to self and self-authority. And we're going to get into practices around that here in just a moment. Um, Mark Twain said there are three kinds of lies. The intentional outright lie, lies of omission, and statistics. Um, so you, you have to understand that narratives are created. They're, they're not this objective thing that just sit there a lot of times. A lot of times the narrative are, I mean, it, we go back to say for instance, quantum physics, right? Um, where the actual observation of an event changes the event. And so that, that's, uh, and that's just basic science. I mean, even if the event, if the event happened in a vacuum to where no one observed it, it would be a different event. 
So think about that just for a minute. Um, think about that and then think about how stories are created and how we are able to manipulate these stories just by our perceptions and just by our projections and overlays that we put on them. And then you take into the fact that you have big conglomerates backed with lots of money that benefit from the story being told a certain way. Look at that and understand that there has to be a disconnect between that and your connection to self and your inner world. You have to insulate yourself from that. And so understand how this runs, right? Um, the pod piper is in full effect. People are going to the beat of this drum, right? We're all just kind of going along with it. We're all kind of, nothing's really being challenged in a way that isn't extreme. You know, if, if you don't wear a mask, you're, you're a right, right wing extremist. If you wear a mask, you're um, uh, an extreme liberal. You know, there, there is no, there's no guide rod that comes back to the middle of, of the self and the intuition and the guidance that we all have and listening to actual experts and things like that. We all want to take things into an emotional projection extreme. And of course, that creates a reality that creates a perceptual reality that gets us swept up into paralysis and fear where we have to we have to disengage from that so that we can have that Pied Piper understanding cut short and where we aren't being programmed so much anymore by this thought form of this reality is being created. So um, it's obvious this is a beta test for control and societal lockdown. And somewhere inside, most of us can sense this. We should not permit this. I've had extensive discussions uh, from experts all over about this and spiritual leaders and teachers. One of them is D.H. Thorne, phenomenal um, author and acquaintance of mine. We've been talking here and there. And um, he is, uh, he's really good at what he does. Um, his book, Become the Maelstrom, is one of the best books I've ever read over um, the, the pra practice, um, the components of practice, what it means to actually engage magic and, and, and ritual. Um, he doesn't go into dogma in that. He doesn't swing beliefs either way. He just explains the state of sensing into energy and magic and what that means and building on that. And then he'll give you a practice at the end of the book if you want it. But most of the book is just simply about understanding self-authority, understanding sensing into magic, understanding several things there. So he's an excellent author if you want to check into him. But um, you know, the, um, it's, it's obvious there's a lot of things being tested right now by authorities. It's obvious there's a lot of things being rolled out and tested and, and um, kind of, um, they're kind of dipping their toe in the water like, hmm, I wonder if we push the story this way, if, how people react. I wonder if we push the story this way, how people react. So there's a lot of programming trying, um, trying to be implemented at this point. Just understand that. And this is, a, this is not... I'm not trying to be hokey here. I'm not trying to say there is a humongous agenda or going to shadow governments and all that stuff. This isn't that kind of talk, but I do want you to understand what's in the collective so that you can insulate yourself from what the collective is like when you, when you have this humongous energy wave and this humongous story being told by a collective, right? It's a very powerful force that you can get swept up in and just be completely programmed the same way. I want you to understand that, that you've got to somehow claim yourself in that. You've got to somehow have a practice that takes back your understanding of your narrative and your story and how you're going to weather this. So moving forward, um, let's go into the spiritual components of sickness because I think some of this is pretty profound, right? And there's been a lot of study done on this um, by people in, you know, uh, in the past. And some of these people are extremely insightful um, going back to Edgar Casey's time and things like that. Um, one of those people is, um, if I'm not, let me make sure and get, um, 
get her name correct, but um, one of the people is, uh, if you want to check her out, is Rudolf Steiner. Rudolf Steiner is really, really great. Um, but this is a quote from her in 1914. I'll just read it out loud. People today are haunted by a fear we can compare with a medieval fear of ghosts. Now remember, 1914 is, um, is that time when I, there was another big influenza outbreak. So she's writing this in the midst of a pandemic, okay? So she's writing this during the midst of a pandemic in her time. And she's a medical expert and spiritual advisor of her time. So people today are haunted by a fear we can compare with a medieval fear of ghosts. It is the fear of germs. This is really really interesting uh, component here. The modern age has lost this belief in the spiritual world. It believes in material things. This is where our focus is, material things, right? It's out of balance because there actually needs to be a balance between your belief and your focus on material and spiritual. But we'll get into that here in just a moment. It therefore has a fear of material beings, be they ever so small. Germs flourish most intensively when we take nothing but materialistic thoughts into sleep with us or live in the center of an epidemic or endemic illness and tend to think of nothing but the sickness all around, filled only with a fear of getting sick. If this fear can be reduced even a little by, for example, active love and while tending the sick, forgetting for a time that one might also be infected, just forget that. The conditions are less favorable for the germs. So let's, let's repeat that, all right? So, um, people tend to think of nothing but the sickness all around, but only with a fear of getting sick. If this fear can be reduced even by a little, so she goes into how to contradict this fear. This is really important. For example, active love. And while tending to the sick, forgetting for a time that one might also be infected, the conditions are less favorable for the germs. Now, she's talking about focus here, right? And so if you drop yourself back into your heart space, if you drop yourself back into active love, and that can be active love for the self. I'm not saying that we need to go out on the streets and start caring for those who have, you know, coronavirus or something like that. I'm talking about active love as much as you can muster in your, in your immediate environment for the self. You drop yourself back into your heart space. You start transmuting exactly what that focus is on, on the material into a spiritual aspect. And then it makes the conditions for germs less favorable. And you can see this too. Um, that is one of the reasons why I believe that a lot of doctors that are on the front line sometimes of these things don't get sick because they focus on active love. They focus back into the heart space and transmute. That makes sense. I've seen several doctors be on the front lines of very infectious diseases and never, never get sick. Like it, it always amazed me until I started studying this and understanding it's like, Oh, that's how you do it. Right. It's one of the ways you insulate yourself. Because the very first place you get infected is spiritually, right? There's an opening in your, in, your, um, in your spiritual being that allows the force or the nature, the spiritual aspect of this virus or the sickness to get in, and then you get infected physically. That makes sense? And so um, Rudolf Steiner is saying here that if you focus more into the transmutational aspect of the human being or the heart space and engage in active love for the self, for others, Somehow find a way to be in service. Somehow find a way to, to be part of a story and agenda that actually takes you to that space. Then it, lets, it makes it a lot less favorable for you to get sick at all. 
Um, if people were given thoughts that lead them away from materialism and spur them on, act on to active love out of the spirit, it would serve the future of humanity better. So the origin of, a, of an infection in an, in an epidemic occurs on the soul spiritual level, right? So we kind of covered that a little bit and what that looks like. And emotional state is the first thing that spreads among people. So I kind of covered that in the last slide a little bit, but I wanted to reiterate that because that it's, it's not about the biology as much and the, and the material at this point, as far as what we're going to discuss today. And I'll get into that a little bit. I'm not saying that it does, that the biology aspect doesn't exist. And by no means am I saying to disregard um, or st try to spiritualize a sickness and not seek any kind of medical help. That that's BS. Don't do that. But what I am saying is there is definitely a spiritual component to this. There's a spiritual component to sickness and it mimics it. Everything in the spiritual plane is mimicked in the astral plane. All of it. Um, in fact, you could say, and in my experience, almost everything in the physical plane comes from the spiritual plane. It is caused first there, like this virus in particular, the thought of it, and also the actual biology component of it, the material aspect of it, was first conceived in the astral realm, in the spiritual realm, and then it came into, into physical being. That's how everything is. Um, even our tables, our trees, whatever you may think of, it's all first an astral aspect, and then it becomes physical. And so you have to deal with things from a spiritual aspect first as a foundation, and then from a biological or physical aspect. Hey, Brandon. Yes. I have a quick question on that, and it might be something you're not able to answer, but I'm sure you have some thoughts or have talked with other people about their thoughts about how something becomes um, a reality or a concept in the spiritual state. Um, yeah. So that's a great question. And what you want to do is um, think of the astral plane as um, a component of reality. Okay, this isn't some far distant thing that's out there. The astral plane is not. The astral plane is actually something that is a part of human experience already. At a foundational level, it is a part of our reality. We're born with it. Um, the problem is that we're taught to focus so much on the physical realm that we completely leave the astral realm out of our um, awareness. And that's why you have people so distorted around um, having a gift having a spiritual gift, quote unquote, and being able to, I, I see spirits and I can't describe it. I can't explain it. I've been a Christian my whole life, but the Bible says nothing about this gift that I have. And I don't know how to control it and blah, blah, blah. And I have a lot of people come to me with that. And, and of course we help people with those kind of things. But that is a, that is because there's an imbalance in, in the way that we're trained how to perceive our reality as human beings. Our perception creates our reality, right? And so if we focus mainly on the physical aspects of our reality, um, then we're living out whole components of the human experience that we're born connected with. And so the astral plane is already there. The astral plane is, is a part of our foundational um, aspect of a being. And so that means, right, that um, uh, we don't focus on it so we don't understand that things come from the astral plane and the astral reality and get reflected onto, it's almost like when you view everything that's physical, it is, um, it's like seeing the moon, right? Um, the, the moon is, the only reason why you're able to see the moon at all is because there's a reflection 
of, uh, of the sun's beams off the moon, right? And so that's the same way our physical world is. We think the physical world is what's real, but it's actually just a reflection off of what's being, being cascaded from the astral. And so the astral plane is filled with several different forces and energies that, um, that contain the ebb and flow of the way the universe works and the energies of the universe, the chaotic cosmic energy. So the creative force of development or the, the forces that actually created the world, the earth, the, the sun, the galaxies, the universe in general, the way that the, that stars just keep on getting created over and over again. And they just pop out of, of dark matter, right? And these gases explode and they create stars and planets and these kind of things that all comes and is, is coalesced as energy from the astral realm. That's where it's all contained, at least in our perception and experience. The problem that the reason why we don't see that is because we have no focus on that realm but it's an absolute part of where we are. And so say for instance, a pandemic like this, right? will first be engaged. The energy of it will first be engaged from a chaotic energy, right? In the astral realm and created there. And then it will trickle into a physical thing here. And you, and even if you engage in the conspiracy theories of say, for instance, this thing has a patent on it. It was created in a lab, you know, that kind of thing. So it was man-made that was first conceptualized in the astral and was downloaded by a, a human being to be created in this reality. That makes sense. Um, so everything has a blueprint there first and then it's structured here. And the only, the reason why it works that way. And the reason like, say for instance, this virus, um, this virus is a part of the source um, experience of who we are as beings. And so it was implemented by, um, the energies that, that are contained in the astral. And that's how it gets um, kind, of kind of transmitted here. Um, and that's how all things are. Um, and we view things as good or bad. It's actually not. Um, it's actually just a part of human experience to help us evolve. Um, but not even to help us evolve, just to, um, to help us have an experience. As beings that are intelligent, as beings of source, to, to have experiences. And those experiences either evolve us or they paralyze us. One of the two, <laughs> they're, they're going to do one of the two things. And if we're, if we're on our game and we have a practice here and we have our focus on the astral as well as the physical in a balanced way, then we can become like really authoritative people who, who bring change and who evolve ourselves and those around us. That makes sense. And so that's kind of the setup. Did that answer your question? Yeah, that was great. Thank you. Okay, cool. Um, and the reason why I want to address the emotional state is because that has a lot to do with our spirit. It has a lot to do with, um, with our experience as human beings, and it has a lot to do with, um, with our understanding of, of how we're going to overcome what we need to, in order to evolve through this. Um, and just very briefly, I'm no gestalt therapy expert. Um, I, um, Adela is Adela Rafa. Um, those of you who are looking for a great counselor, um, AdelaRafa.com is amazing. A-D-E-L-A. R-A-F-F-A.com. But she gave me this, this little thing this morning. And of course, this is, I'm going to go over this very, very cursorily. But the thing that, that um, there's depth to every single one of these, um, these things here, you know, between sensation, awareness, mobilization. But what I wanted to display with this is what happens when we have paralysis, what happens when we have fear injected into any of this, right, is a sense of trauma. 
And trauma will stop this, this natural process that we have here of being a human being, right? Because the self is in the center there, right? The self is in the center of the circle. So for those of, of us listening on the podcast, I'm going to lay this out for you. There's um, a cycle of experiences according to Gestalt therapy, where you have one, a sensation of something, right? Two, you have an awareness of that sensation, and you start to explore it. Now, this is really broken down, but I'm, I, the reason why I'm I, I'll go into a little bit more of why I'm going over this very briefly. Um, then you have a mobilization or you have um, kind of like a gathering of, of energy around that awareness, right? It's like, oh, I'm aware of something. Let me, let me put my attention and my focus toward that. Then you develop an action around it, whatever it may be. Um, then you make contact with it. Um, then you're going to um, have some kind of resolution hopefully <laughs> that's the point. Right. And then after you have resolution and you have a big, um, a big movement around it, then you're going to go into withdrawal. And that's a natural part of right. Being a human. Um, we're, we're experiencing contractions right now, contractions into fear, contractions into paralysis, contraction, contraction. And what the call is, is to, to move through those contractions in the ebb and flow and validate your experience around the contractions. I'm not saying not have fear, not have trauma. I'm saying have the trauma, have the fear, move through that contraction, and then move to the other side where you can find, keep on moving and not have paralysis through this process. Because when you have fear or trauma through the cycle of experience as a human being through any of those, um, those points, it stops. So say, for instance, if you were going through, um, let's say I had a sensation around experiencing um, um, uh, my father, right? And then I had an awareness around this event that he and I had, and then I, I put my focus around it, and it seemed to, um, to be something that I wanted to focus on. I developed an action around it or reached out to him. I made contact, and then um, I developed resolution around whatever uh, concerns we had or whatever I wanted to experience in that moment, whether it be love, fear, pain, or whatever. And then I went back into like relaxing after all that because that was a lot of work, right? So I withdrew. So I contracted. And then that gives me the opportunity to have another sensation, right? And start the process all over again, okay? And so that's, that's kind of the cycle of experience as um, very, very broken down. But I want you to understand that um, there is a way in which we engage emotionally our environment. When you have trauma, it completely stops that engagement. It stops the whole process from happening. And so we have got to resource ourselves around having this process intact. And so you need people that are really trained into doing this work and holding that container like Adela, um, like other Gestalt therapists, um, like your spiritual teachers um, who understand a little bit more about this process, right? Um, so just throwing that out there and helping you understand what's happening when paralysis happens. When paralysis happens, it actually stops a very natural process of moving through experiences, right? So it shuts down, it, in other words, a fear and trauma shuts down the whole process of being human. And so we've got to have um, a contradiction to it and a resourcing around that fear and trauma so that we can keep moving through the process. Otherwise, our evolution, who we are, um, how we operate at work, at life, in our relationships, all of it stops. It stops around that, that, that one thing. And so it affects all of it too. It's like a domino effect. So when you have fear or trauma, stop this process and our understanding of our reality and moving through it the way that we were naturally meant to, 
then you have a complete breakdown of, of the human being. And then you can be programmed, like I said, in the other um, things. You, you stop your evolution, you stop your connection, you stop everything. So I wanted people to have um, an overview of that in this chart. So move through. So let's break down um, spiritual infection because we know a little bit about biology, right? We hear it in the news, we studied it in high school, all this stuff, but people don't break down what spiritual infection actually looks like so that we can kind of inoculate ourselves spiritually. So let's go into that a little bit. Um, so I have a quote here, another one uh, from the same lady I mentioned earlier. When the Mongols fell upon the Germans and other Central European peoples, they created a wave of fear and panic. These emotions belong to the astral body, and under such conditions, decaying astral substances will flourish. Thus, the astral bodies of Europeans became infected, and in later generations, the infection came out in the physical body, affecting not merely individuals, but whole groups of people. It emerged as leprosy, that terrible disease which wrought such devastation in the Middle Ages. It was the physical consequence of an influence of the astral body. Now, whatever you believe around leprosy or how it started or whatever, we aren't going to really address that right now and try to contradict this or whatever it may be and get into some kind of argument around it. But what I do want to point out is the concept of this and being open to the concept of the fact that, hey, trauma and things that happen actually affect the astral body so much so that it creates a physical response. Once again, we go back to the concept that if it happens astrally, that is the causal realm that is the thing that causes the physical things to happen right so if it happens astrally and we keep it in ourselves astrally and emotionally right then and we don't move through it, we don't have a practice that moves us through it, we don't resource ourselves around it then we actually become open to physical consequences and physical infection in the body right so that's the components that we're looking at here and so let's break that down a little bit infection is due to a person being becoming an imitator and what do I mean by that? So let's break that down a little bit. So this is because the human organism, by virtue of its imitative tendency, right? We're imitative. Like when we, when we sit in front of other people, we want acceptance so much and we want um, to be received so well that we kind of imitate the people in front of us. It's just a natural response. I mean, we draw faces on suns and, and flowers and things like that. We want to personalize everything. Um, and so it's our tendency to imitate our environment and make our, our environment imitate us. And so um, we come to meet the trouble that we're perceiving, um, adjusting um, itself in, in an imitative, receptive way as soon as we perceive the diphtheric uh, poison. And so whenever we, let's go into that a little bit because that's a, a, a deep sentence. So I'm going to read it out loud without me interrupting. This is because the human organism, by virtue of its imitative tendency, comes to meet the trouble. So we can sense there's trouble in our environment, adjusting itself in an imitative, receptive way as soon as it perceives a diphtheric poison. And so um, we start to, in other words, you ever heard the, the, the concept of um, um, everything in our environment reflects our inner, right? And so that's a big spiritual concept that a lot of people teach and, 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 and theorize about and talk about. Um, and so if it's in our environment, in our outward environment, it's actually reflecting what's going on with our inner and how, and how it unfolds. So let's say, for instance, we discussed this the other night in, um, in a group call that I was having with my latest uh, uh, spiritual self-mastery course people. And so we were talking about a book and a, 
I was talking, we were talking about programming a little bit and we were talking about how, how that happens, how spiritual programming happens and different things like that. We're talking about um, overcoming Christian dogma. Okay. That they, that they were talking about. We're talking about different kinds of, of conversations that they were having that were very hard with family members or friends that were deep Christians and things like that. and had a lot of dogma around things. And um, so overcoming that though requires that you see that there's no way that you'd be having those conversations if it wasn't reflected somewhere inside still. So if you held yourself in such a way that you just knew yourself well enough that, you know, you didn't believe that you were going to hell um, through and through if you didn't accept Jesus, these people could perceive that on a very innate level and not even have the conversation with you. That makes sense. It is what you hold inside that opens you up to what is in your environment. So I, I, let's, con, let's flip that on its other side, like I did in the conversation with them. The only reason why I'm not having conversations um, with billionaires about how I can become one is because I don't hold the energy for that yet, or I may never, who knows? Does that make sense? I don't run in those circles because I don't have it on my inner just yet. I don't have enough self-value built up. I don't have enough self-value to build up to actually meet that kind of energy. And so it doesn't even appear in my reality. I don't keep peers like that. Does that make sense? And so it's, it's the same situation here, right? We become imitators of the environment. Which the, what they're saying is we reflect what is going on on our inner with our outer. And so we meet, right, a poison in our environment, right, because we are able to receive it. That makes sense. Okay. Let's move past that. So that, so we're still breaking down this, the components of spiritual infection and how it happens It's because in the first place, somewhere inside something, some kind of trauma, some kind of fear has opened us up to the possibility of being infected. That makes sense. Then it happens in the biology. So this is why a psychological rebuke is so important at the beginning phases of a sickness. You get the, the way things are happening now. So it moves through, right? Us having an opening, a psychological opening and an energetic opening on the inner. Some form of trauma or fear has opened us up to a poison in our environment and a threat in our environment. We meet that and it reflects back to us so, so much that we get infected by it, right? And so that's why a psychological rebuke at the beginning of a, of a sickness, taking your authority and claiming your body at the beginning of it is a very important thing to insulate yourself from the depth of a sickness. Once it begins to happen, you, you recognize, right? And, then, and this, this would be the important thing to do. Recognize that this has a psychological beginning and a spiritual and emotional beginning that lodges itself energetically into our reality and our perception of reality. And if that's the case, and we're unaware of how that's running, then we say, wait a minute, get the fuck off me. I don't want to get sick. And I believe that my body's strong enough to overcome this, right? And you claim yourself in a spiritual authoritative way. That is a really good way to start to wave off sickness that you're open to, but don't understand why or how. Some kind of trauma, some kind of fear has opened you up to it. Does that make sense? And it can be collective fear like the pandemic now, right? And that's why I'm trying to kind of, um, I'm going to go into how to sidestep the collective fear and the collective trauma we're having now that we're all being kind of swept up into. The, but that's the stages right there. Brandon, I've and got so, a question. Yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. 
because you really hit on a really great point and I don't want us to gloss over it. Sure. Um, I know thinking about uh, the process you just laid out in terms of like infection can be um, a little difficult to comprehend um, because it's a new way of thinking. Um, but I just wanted to ask, can you give us an example of how that process plays out in other ways in our life? Maybe about how um, that imitation or receptiveness to uh, other emotional states or certain types of people um, are an example of that process happening that we are probably really familiar with. Sure. So, um, yeah, um, that you, you will have, say, for instance, uh, let's take it in almost to an obvious place, right? Um, there'll be a little bit of thinking around this, but um, have you ever had a friend, right, that is com has a phobia or a fear around something that you don't at all? And because of that, they get themselves into a whole lot of trouble around that issue. Let, let's say um, a person has a fear of failure concerning um, going into getting a job interview, you know? Um, but when you go into job interviews, you don't have a problem with it. You might get a little nervous, but you're fine. But this person has so much consternation around it that, um, and so much there, there was some kind of event or trauma that happened around uh, being judged a certain way by an authority figure or something in their life that they just, um, um, job interviews are almost insurmountable for them. And so when they go in, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so they go in and they start to, um, start to replay that, that whole issue and it becomes an inward trauma that becomes an outward manifestation, right? It becomes reflected back to them that this authority figure doesn't accept them because they feel really sheepish in front of them. They're already scared of getting rejected. They have a ton of programming around it already. So they're already open. They've, they've completely opened themselves to being, um, to being rejected in that moment. Does that make sense? And so that, that's, a, that's a micro way of how all this pans out. And you can take that on a depth level, like what we've been discussing, into the, the spiritual aspect. Is that, is that cleared up just a little bit? Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, like I said, it's just such a good point. And uh, I know it can be a little weird to think about it in terms of biological infection, but it's a process we're really familiar with with emotions and people. Yeah. Yeah, it works the exact same way um, in biology and, and how this trickles down out of the astral. Um, so, uh, and you can, the, the next bullet point I have there is, this is obviously most effective if you have a practice that engages the spiritual authority of the being. So a psychological rebuke is what I was talking about. And a psychological rebuke is not something that, it's something that you can muster in the moment. But if, understand that the state where we're in when we get sick or when we get infected spiritually first and then biologically, we are already vulnerable because of the trauma and fear we have experienced around this issue to being infected. So you need a practice that engages your sense of self, your sense of spiritual authority in an embodied way on a consistent basis in order for you to move through a moment where you may be vulnerable. That makes sense. So if you have a practice around it, if you have a practice around engaging your sense of spiritual authority and sense of, of deep self, then you can pull it out and say, wait a minute, even though I, I, I feel vulnerable and even though I'm afraid, even though I have trauma surrounding this somewhere inside that I'm unaware of, and it's left me open to being sick or left me open to this, I'm going to claim myself in this moment because I have a practice around it that allows me to engage that. And it's much easier 
to give a psychological rebuke in a vulnerable moment if you have been practicing doing um, uh, claiming yourself on a consistent basis and claiming your authority in this life over yourself. Does that make sense? And so that is um, that's going to be ultra important moving forward in understanding you know how to actually do a psychological rebuke in these moments when you become vulnerable. Um, this is all very important to understand because it leads us to evolve in ways that cannot be replicated. And that's what I'm getting into next about what does it actually mean to evolve in the times that we're in now, in the times where we have to have a psychological rebuke of this entire pandemic and, and what it's causing in the system, not re rejecting the reality of it. It's here, you know, and it's, it, it's actually here for a purpose. And we'll get into that here in just a moment. But it's all very important to understand that um, this situation can't be replicated. It can't be replicated that we're quarantined in our houses. We're alone. We're on a Zoom call right now to try to connect. And we're social beings. This is causing us to focus on aspects of our lives that we would have never focused on otherwise. So let's get into all of this just a little bit. So how do we evolve during this time? And so one of the ways that I personally evolve and I guide others to evolve and have entire courses around this and programs is um, I believe that you have to get into ritual and um, ritual, not, not as dogma, not as, you know, we have to face East and, and, you know, carve it this way and, you know, all these things. And, and that has its place as, as forming a structure and a foundation. I mean, I believe that's good, but it doesn't need to become dogma. Dogma is what religion is, is guilty of that, causes us to recede and not evolve and causes us to have paralysis and think about it. So dogma tells you something has to be this way in our spiritual well-being. And so in that, what happens is it completely wads up and throws away the individual, right? The individual aspect of subjective truth and, and understanding our experience, but also it locks us into a belief structure that we can't get out of. We can't, we can't really move in that. And there is no, no room in that little box for us to start to become a creative force. A creative force doesn't recognize boxes. A creative force, um, they, they'll paint their environment until it feels right. Does that make sense? That is the most alive state of the human being. And so that's what we have to get back to. And so you can do that solo. You can do that at home. You can do that without anybody else around you. And so um, what I mean by ritual as art is, you sense your way through it. You have structure and you have an understanding of the basics, you know, that people like me teach people, right? An understanding of, of what it means to engage energy with a platform of, of different things like that. But then it starts to become something that you loosen up belief structures around and you're able to have a compass and move through. So developing ritual as art, is one of the most um, effective practices to embody the spirit of self. And what I mean by the spirit of self is that authoritative component that I'm talking about, that connection to self, that connection to the inner guide and the compass that you know in your bones um, that this is the right way I'm going or that, that that last brushstroke I did on my reality, that was the one that I'm going to keep. And it feels good to have that part of my reality in my life. You know, like that, in order to engage that, you have to have a practice that engages the sense of self-authority. And ritual is one of the most important things that I know of that does that. In ritual, you create boundaries, you create um, energy, you create, um, you start to get in touch with the God force of self. In other words, you start to really embody what it is to be a, um, a human being and be alive in the moment. 
um, more so than a lot of other solo practices that I know of. And so um, the next thing is belief systems must become malleable during this time. And we need practices to sidestep belief systems. Belief removes access to wisdom. So that's a deep phrase. I'm going to, go back. I'm going to revisit that. Belief removes access to wisdom and more objective truth. This is why dogma is so damaging. So I've already touched on that in the last statements that I was talking about, but let's call that. Let, and this is the reason why I'm guiding the conversation the way that I am from the very beginning. Remember how I talked about in the beginning stories, belief structures, how we're being programmed and guided through paralysis and fear, how we're vulnerable at the time. So let, let's, let's talk about that and how belief systems are being like very rigid right now. It's far left or far right. It's, it's all this, this bullshit, like right in here in this box. Where is the creative force in that? Where's the ability to be alive in that and have individual experiences and subjective truth that lead to objective reality and understanding. Does that make sense? I'm just talking about spiritual components. I'm not, I'm not talking anything about health experts at this point or anything like that. Yes. Follow them. Yes. Love them. That's great. But stay away from hype media stories. Stay away from things that feel programmed. Stay away from things that, that are going to inject us a ton of fear without some kind of, real research and real expert experts talking in the midst of it to give it like a grounding and a backing. Stay away from those kind of stories because you want your belief systems to be workable. You want them to be movable during this time. You don't want them to be put together with this like really thick glue that creates a dogma around the experience of the pandemic. And then you're trapped. You're fucking done. If you create dogma around the pandemic and which way you swing, how far right, how far left and all this bullshit, you have lost yourself. You've got to gain more of a command of self in this and do away with as much programming and dogma as possible. That's the only way you're going to evolve. That's the only way you're going to move through this. Um, and I believe it's the only way that you're going to inoculate yourself from the actual sickness that this virus instills in all of us. And we'll get into that here in just a minute. But the belief systems, I'm going to repeat this because it's such an important point. Belief systems during this time must become malleable and we need practices to sidestep belief systems. I think ritual does that. It engages energy in a way that, um, and when you contact cosmic energy and angelic energy and demonic energy and all those different things, it starts to make you understand that, wow, life is bigger than me. Um, and this physical experience that I'm having, there is a focus on the astral I can have. There's whole other worlds I can explore and it's all inner worlds. And so, the, you need practices that start to challenge your belief that all we have is the physical realm. You've got to have some kind of spiritual practice around that. And so let, let's go into why. Belief removes access to wisdom. One of the greatest teachers I've ever had um, told me that the other day. She's like, look, Brandon, you know, you're caught up in a belief and belief removes access to wisdom. So let's discuss that just a little bit, that phrase. Um, the, it goes back to what I'm talking about. Once you start thinking in boxes and, you, and your belief systems at a base level, when you, have, when you develop a belief around experiences, when you develop a belief around self or belief around reality, that belief is very hard to move because it's based on such entrenched experience. And so wisdom, right? Wisdom is the, is, um, is the deep uh, truth of the universe being transmitted to us in ways that are profound, in ways that are almost unknowable or unspeakable, right? The old mystics sometimes will access those, those deep wisdoms, right? And, and uh, transmit them to us. Some of them go insane because of it, because it runs so counter to 
how we believe in the moment reality works. And so those beliefs stop real wisdom from coming through. Can you, can you see how it kind of forms a reality for us? And that reality is unmovable at that point because it's a belief. And so you have to make it movable in order to be able to see the wisdom of what's happening. Um, so that's a really important thing to do. It's a really important practice. And the more you did something like ritual, the more you did a practice that really challenged um, your understanding of self, your understanding of, of life and reality in general, the more you're going to be able to see a little bit of wisdom here and there. And the more you're going to be able to see like the backdrop of what's really happening spiritually for us all. Um, and the more you're going to evolve into a, an amazing human being. Um, be service oriented and train yourself into your heart. We discussed that a little bit with some of the quotes. Um, so the, it's really important that during this time you train yourself into um, transmuting um, the, the darkness that you're going through, um, resourcing yourself around, around it. I mean, training yourself into heart can even look like scheduling something with uh, someone like Adla or taking a program like mine um, or reaching out and just seeing what resonates as far as spiritual teachers or spiritual experiences. I mean, and so much spiritual teachers don't care, but spiritual experiences. Reach out to see what kind of spiritual experiences you can move through that actually have impact on the being. Like we need to start really having, and I'm not talking about going to, um, and, and I love moon circles and they're great. I'm not talking about just going to a moon circle or something like that, even virtually or whatever, or just doing a yoga class. Although that's a good start. Those are good starting points. Talking about deeper movements that actually challenge you, the whole structure of how you're programmed, that give you the experiences you need to move through all of this and train yourself back into what it means to care for the self. That those kind of movements are actually caring for the self in a way that has depth. They're training you into your heart. And so that's being service oriented because then you can give to other people. Like what I'm doing now. I mean, I've, I've done a, a ton of work on myself and so I'm able to do something like this class for people for free. This is being service oriented. This is getting me out of my, my programming around the pandemic and, and my dogma around it. It's reminding me how to have a steadiness inside and a connection to my own spiritual authority and training other people into it. Does that make sense? So this is a service and I'm training myself back into my heart by doing this. And it's an offering. It's generosity. Get into generosity of the self and generosity with others. That's very important during this time. The creative force that drives humankind into beauty, strength, aliveness, and connection must be engaged as a practice. It isn't, it isn't good enough that you just have the concept of it. It's like, oh, I understand, you know, like there, there's something that, that drives humanity to be great, you know, um, and how we define what greatness is. Um, you have got to understand what it means to have a practice around it. And once again, ritual is one of those greatest things that I've seen, but also engaging the creative, creative force, it's time to be an artist. It's time to start painting. It's time to start writing, drawing. It's time to start getting into that aspect of the self. If you, even if you never picked it up, whatever design, whatever it looks like, be creative, start being creative. This is the new way of being for humanity. From this point on, we've really got to start being creative. We got to have a creative force developed in all of us. And I don't care if you've never, picked up a pen, never, never picked up a brush uh, and done a stroke on, on, um, on an easel or, or whatever it may be on, on a backdrop. I don't care, or you've never taken a photo and edited it um, in a way that, that was very artistic. Start that, start those things, start them today. It's very important that the creative force that drives us all and that engages that part of us that gets us in touch with our compass 
starts to be connected to. You've got to do that during this time. That's very, very important. We must disarm this collective force by coming to terms with our mortality and making friends with it, changing the narrative on death in our cultures. It's really, really, really important that we start to understand our own mortality, that we start to understand that, hey, it's time for me to just make friends with that. If I die, I die. It's good. But I'm going to go out being creative. I'm going to go out being uh, evolving myself and evolving those around me as much as I possibly can, by example. Um, not, not teaching dogma, but actually just living in a creative aspect and also um, uh, an aspect that has authority, that has a self-governing authority intact and embodied. If you can do that, um, and then you'll change the whole world around you, right? And the next thing to do is just accept your mortality. It's okay. It's okay. We're, we're going to die. We're going to have loved ones that die. That We're going to move through that. And it's going to hurt, you know, and we're going to have to move through that too. And we're going to have grief for years around it or whatever it may be. But the point is that you have to change the narrative around it from, um, from being so afraid of it and being like, oh my God, you know, um, and move into an acceptance and being like, okay, this is, this is going to happen. Could happen now. Could happen tomorrow. Could happen the next day. That's okay. It's a part of the human existence. And so where we've lost ourselves and why we're able to get per, a lot of paralysis around all this is we don't have practices anymore that get us in touch with our mortality. You know, it used to be when we lived in tribes a long time ago, the, the healthy thing was to, um, have people as soon as they came of age, like 13, 14 years old or so, um, everybody in the village would gather around these people and support them in having a near-death experience. And I'm not talking about beating them to death or something like that, but giving them the, 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 the feeling of what it is to die, right? And then once you experience that, then you're okay with it and can move through it, right? And I was saying that, that there wasn't barbarism at the time where they'd leave, you know, like young, young people out in the middle of the forest alone and stuff like that. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about a more modern understanding of it, right? We need rituals that engage our understanding of mortality, you know, like spending a night in the woods or something like that, you know, um, having an understanding of, of what it is to be alone and the concept that, that we come into this life alone, we're going to leave alone and that's okay. We're all still connected uh, at a base level in our experiences and we all have to gather from that place. That's a very somber thing to move through, and you, you'll need some resourcing around it, but it's also a very freeing thing to move through. Once you, um, uh, once you make friends with death uh, through shamanic practices and ecstatic ritual, then you can truly live. It removed there, I, I can't describe it. I've, I've moved through rituals like that and practices. Um, I've moved through deep shamanic practices that, that bring me close to a sense of death, to a sense of dying, to uh, at the very least egoic death, um, somewhat. And so what that does is it gives you a real sense of like, Hey, it's okay. If I go, it's okay. You know, um, it's a part of life. It's a part of the process. Um, once you remove that fear, you can truly live. And so start to look for experiences, start to look for teachers or for shamanic practices that can bring you to that point where, um, where it feels like an egoic death. It doesn't have, it doesn't have to bring you to anywhere near to a physical death. What you need is a spiritual death. We need an understanding because when you have an egoic death, it feels like you're dying. Like literally, it feels like you're going to go. And so when you work with plant medicines, when you work with shamanic practices, when you work with ritual um, rituals that get you in touch with that part of the self where you can make friends with death finally, and, and that's okay. 
then you can actually live. And so that's one of the ways that we're being controlled is through our fear of death right now. So you got to have, um, you got to look for experiences that bring you past that or give you a new narrative on it. We must stop being programmed by the media and focus on our evolutionary aspects instead. That is the whole purpose of this pandemic to push humankind to evolve into our next phase. Um, and I don't know where I'm at on time, um, but I, I can't talk too much about, you know, what our next phase looks like and things like that due to, to time constraints and, and things like that. Just know it engages. It, it's about a lot of what I've been talking about being trained into your heart space, being trained not to focus on being programmed so much through fear of death and through fear in general and collective fear, right? Bring the focus back to a centered, um, a centered sense of self uh, um, and engage that connection. Um, a lot of people talk about being connected to your higher self or being connected to your interdimensional self or being connected to your true self. Those aspects, right? Um, are, are, and any practice that engages you more with that, that's what you're looking for. You want spiritual self-authority really, really engaged during this time, and you want to practice around it, and that's what's going to carry humanity into the next phase of who and what we are, because our spiritual self-authority is something that we have to claim. It's something that has not been given away yet. It's something that, that we haven't like bartered in any of the spiritual <clears throat> aspects of being. It is something that we have intact. We have no contracts um, engaged outside of the physical experience that, that, that give away our spiritual self-authority. We have to engage that more as a practice. We have to understand what it is to stand in that and to claim it. And we, and we have to train ourselves into it. It's not something you're just going to experience once and then you got it. It's something you're going to have to engage on a consistent basis through ritual, through um, engaging people like Adela Rafa that I mentioned earlier that can um, move you through the emotional aspect, ritual moves you through the um, ethereal and astral aspect. And then you need engagement through um, yogic science and things like that that train you through the body um, aspect of things. Um, but that is, that's definitely the next phase of where we're heading as, as, uh, as human beings. So um, I believe that's, yeah, that's everything. Um, oh, the last thing I want to mention is um, view this as an invitation to be an active part of creating a new world. That's what this is. That's what this pandemic is. Um, we are forced to look at things in a way that we never have before. The collective is really, really, it's very interesting, right? Because the last time that we had a pandemic, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have our phones. We didn't have, um, we didn't have all this connection all over the world and all these things that could possibly program us in a very real way through it all. So we're learning how to stand in that tide and claim ourselves and claim a practice that actually gives us access to our own agency, to our own nature, right? And, um, and really our own intent. Intent is, is something that is very deep. It goes beyond just willful understanding. Intent is something you're born with. It is your life purpose. It's something that is between the thoughts. It's something that is engaged in the subconscious. Bringing that out and living it is living your life purpose, right? And very few people get to do that because we don't have any practices that engage a greater connection to that, a greater connection to self-authority so that we can have clarity around what that is. And so that is the practice now, is pulling ourselves away from all the uh, uh, very strong forces at play right now into our own force into our own sense of self and governing authority. So that's what I got today.
This episode was produced by Kirsten Hedges and produced and edited by Georgie Harris. For more information, visit us at modernmysticshop.com and click on Sunday School.